paper or electronic, would you follow along with me as I read uh, the word of the Lord here? As we approach the scripture this morning, I simply want to say, again, this is, this is God's holy, uh, perfect word. Acts 8 verse 1, and Saul approved of his, Stephen's, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Verse 9. But... There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore. Of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let me pause there and pray. Lord, thank you for this word this morning. God, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit's illumination, make this word come alive in our hearts today. And Lord, would you encourage us and challenge us and nourish us with the word of God. This we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Okay, there's a lot going on in this story, so how we're going to proceed is I'm just going to kind of walk us through what's going on and then make some observations of those things. So verse 1 opens by telling us that Saul was the main opponent. He was the one who was bringing about this persecution. Um, he, he was merciless. As I mentioned a few moments ago, he didn't have mercy on the women. He, he went and grabbed men and women, threw them into prison, and he was absolutely 100% against the church. It was his desire, if we can picture the gospel as this burning blaze, it was his desire to pour on every ounce of water that he could to try to put this flame out. He was absolutely against the gospel. And he was using all of his energy to go after people and to squelch the ongoing power of the gospel. We all know how well that turned out for him. It it didn't work, but but there is persecution now that has come upon the people of God in a particular way. Look what it says, uh, verse 1. But Saul, uh, excuse me, and Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And what happened as a result of that great persecution was the dispersion happened, that they were dispersed into other towns and into other lands. And and we see, even in that act, the fulfillment of what Jesus had said in chapter 1. When he said this, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And look where it says in verse one that they're going and they were all scattered throughout the regions of where Judea and Samaria. The gospels, uh, the apostles, excuse me, they were the ones that stayed back in Jerusalem. We don't exactly know why, but they, they stayed there. So this dispersion happened and, and people were going out. And could you imagine being one, one of the 120, uh, original disciples there, the, those who are waiting for the promise of the Spirit, uh, before he came in power? And, you know, you hear these words of Jesus, you will, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you're thinking, okay, yeah, I can do that. And then Judea, like, uh, okay, maybe. And Samaria, and you're thinking, there is no way I'm going to Samaria. There is no way I'm going to walk up there because I'm a Jewish person and Jewish people don't have anything to do with the Samaritans. So there's no way I'm going. Jesus, you got to look for someone else because it's not going to be me. I'm not going to Samaria. What does verse 4 tell us? It says that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So this dispersion of the saints through the persecution that God had in fact ordained, it brought about the, the gospel witness going out from Jerusalem into new ears and to new lands. And this was God's doing. This was a part of God's unfolding redemptive plan in history. So we find this man now, the, the story narrows onto Philip. And who is Philip? We see this in verse 4 through 9. Philip, one of the seven servants chosen uh, to help with the daily distribution to the Hellenistic Jews in chapter 6. Um, Philip himself was a Hellenistic Jew. In other words, uh, he was a Greek-speaking Jew. 
Chapter 6 tells us that Philip, again, this is not Philip uh, the apostle, this is Philip the, the man in the church there. Philip was a man of good reputation. He was a man uh, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. And Philip traveled to Samaria to preach Christ to the Samaritans. Now, uh, let me just pause for a moment and remind us that this was absolutely Huge for a Jewish person to go even, even to set a toenail in Samaria was like you would become ceremonially unclean. Now why would that be the case? What's the history here? Well, the animosity between uh, Israel and Judah, in particular in the south, with those in the north, it went back over a thousand years. Because in the 10th century BC, uh, when 10 of the 12 tribes defected and they said, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna divide. And, and what happened to them is over time, over, over the years, at times they would be, uh, infiltrated by the Assyrians and others and then they would intermarry. And so, uh, suffice it to say that those in Judah, those in Jerusalem, those in what, who they would consider the true Israel, they were, they were viewing those people, the Samaritans, at best as half-breeds because of their intermarriage. They viewed them as, I mean, some of the accounts talked about their view of them as mongrels using that kind of language. There was such ethnic hatred there. How could Philip go and preach the gospel to the Samaritans. Well, he could go because the gospel had done something in his own heart. It had torn down the walls that once existed in his heart toward people who were totally unlike him. And in fact, toward people that he had at one time hated and probably promised, I will never go to Samaria. This is the power of the gospel to tear down walls of hostility that divide us. In fact, it reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul when he writes this. But now in Christ Jesus, he's writing to Gentiles in Ephesus. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Dear friends, there's no, there's no power on earth that can break down the walls of hostility like the powerful gospel. There's no amount of uh, communication and conflict resolution. You know, we're talking about that at our marriage thing this coming Saturday. There's no amount of that can, that can do this kind of work. This alone is the power of the gospel. And so, and so just picture Philip. You know, as he's making his way to Samaria, thinking, like part of him's thinking, wow, my heart's been, I have love for these people. I'm going to share the gospel with them. Probably part of him is thinking, I, I think I'm going crazy. What, what am I doing here? I, I, I would have never thought that I would have done this because of all of the years of the hatred that was in his heart. This is the power of the gospel, dear friends. This is why, you know, we don't ever move on from the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel transforms our hearts unto salvation through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't stop there. It, it changes our perspective on, on those we would at one time consider enemies. Those whom we would dislike greatly. 
those whom we would never give a second look. This is the power of the gospel in Philip's heart. And so he goes and he preaches. What does it say about the effect of that work? Philip, verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Now, here's where the power of the gospel comes in to break the oppression of the enemy. For Verse 7, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So here's a, here's a town, here's a, an area, a land that is oppressed by Satan himself. People being possessed by the enemy of our souls and, and his minions and, and they're in bondage. They're in decay. They're, they're, they're lost because they don't know the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he went. And he proclaimed the hope of Jesus, and there was great joy. This was the purpose of the Lord's coming in the first place, right? This is why he came, to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to who? The captives. They were captive. To open the prison doors of those who are bound. The Samaritans, man, they had never seen this before. They were, they were overjoyed. The lame now were walking. The paralyzed were up and moving around. They had never seen such power, though they had seen some kind of power, which brings us to verse 9 and Simon the sorcerer. So verse 9 introduces us to this new figure, Simon. Uh, he was known to be a sorcerer, one who uh, had powers of magic and the dark arts. He held the people of the city in a bit of a spell, figuratively speaking, by his magical powers. He considered himself great, and he wanted everyone to, to call him Great, he told the people to think of him in such terms, such that the people, um, what does it say, from the least to the greatest said, this man is the power of God that is called great. This sorcerer, Simon, he had considerable sway over the city as he had for a long time amazed them with his magic tricks. So they had seen something of some sort of power, and we all know that there is a degree of power in the power of the enemy and, and of magic and, and dark things. And so they had seen some things and been amazed. But again, they're in bondage. They're in bondage to this man and this teaching. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, now the townspeople, when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And verse 13 goes on to tell us that even Simon himself believed, though it later appears, and this is, this is my opinion, um, most commentators believe or agree, but not all. Uh, it, it seems to me that this was the kind of believing for Simon that did not result in genuine faith. It was a kind of believing that Jesus at times encountered when people would see miracles that he did and, and it said that they believed, but then he didn't entrust his heart to them because it wasn't a genuine belief. Um, real faith 
uh, we can say together, real faith will bear real fruit. And the fruit we see being born from Simon's heart and Peter's strong rebuke of him uh, would indicate that his soul was still in great peril. His soul was was a mess. Because when he tried to buy the ability uh, to pour out the Holy Spirit, you would think, hey, that sounds like a really good thing. Why, why would we oppose the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit? Well, because he wanted to do it on his own strength and in his own way and for his own glory. He wanted to buy the ability to confer the Holy Spirit on the people. Listen to the words that Peter says. I'm reading verses 20 to 23. I mean, these are sharp words. I don't, I don't know that you would speak these kinds of words to someone who is a believer. Look at verse 20. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Look at verse 23. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, that sounds to me like someone that has not been freed from the bonds of iniquity. If he had experienced a genuine faith, he would, he would no longer be in the bonds of iniquity. He might struggle with sin, but not be called to be in the bonds. So the bonds of sin for Simon, it would appear to me, have not been broken. What does that mean for us? It means that, I mentioned this recently, it means that we can be around true, genuine, believing faith. We can see it in other people. We can even, in a kind of Hebrews 6 way, uh, see and attest to something of the work of God, something of the sweetness of God, even be a, an observer of God, and yet still not believe in our hearts. Oh, that we may have a heart unlike Simon's, a heart that is tender and receptive to the very gospel of Jesus Christ that he offers to us today. You know, he stands as an example to, to someone who, who is around the gospel, someone who is near to the gospel. It, it seems as if he didn't allow that work to penetrate deeply into his heart. And I just want to say, oh friend, um, can you ensure can you ask God today, Lord, if you're not certain of your faith in Jesus Christ, fall afresh upon his mercy and grace today. He died and was resurrected for your sin. And if you will but believe, he is here to rescue and redeem you from your sins. May we not be like Simon the sorcerer. What about the account of those who received the Holy Spirit. Let me read it again. And by the way, this is, this is one of the most, um, debated texts, uh, about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture. So, uh, what we're about to talk about is, is no light matter. It's, it's important and I just want to walk us through it. So let me read it again. Verses 14 through 17. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized.
baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So how do we make sense of this this uh, portion of scripture? Well, as I said a moment ago, for 2,000 years, this certain text has been the subject of some degree of theological debate. Some would say, some theologians would say that the Samaritans had not yet fully believed. They had not yet been truly converted until they had received the Holy Spirit uh, when the apostles laid their hands upon them. Uh, many other theologians would say that the Samaritans had genuinely believed, but that they were similar to Old Covenant believers. In other words, they believed the message of Jesus, but had not yet received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And what you and I, what we all need to remember in these moments is that Acts is a transitional account between the Old and New Covenants. In the Old Covenant, given through, you remember, Moses and the law in the Old Covenant, uh, the Holy Spirit was present, but people didn't possess the Spirit in the same degree or the same power. Uh, yes, the Spirit largely came upon the prophets to speak and, and upon leaders like Moses and David as they were doing great acts. Uh, in fact, we have the record of Moses in Numbers 11 when he, he longs for the day. He says, I don't have it quoted here, but he longs for the day when the Spirit of God would be poured out on all of God's people. And in the Old Testament, there are these signals, some in Ezekiel and, and some in Joel. And let me read to you what Joel says as he looks forward to a coming day of the new covenant. He says this, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So there is a coming day, prophesies Joel, when the Lord will be pouring out his spirit, when the new covenant replaces the old covenant, the covenant of law. There was a day when the Lord will write the law, not on stone tablets, but on the tablets of our hearts, because he will change our hearts. And Joel was looking forward to that day. And that day had finally come. That's where we find ourselves in the book of Acts. This is a transitional book between the old and new covenant. That day had finally come. The new covenant age had dawned. God was doing a new thing in redemptive history. And the Spirit had now come to fill every believer. And so this account here of the Holy Spirit coming to the Samaritans after they believed the gospel is a marker of that transition between the covenants and a transition of the gospel as the gospel now made its way into Gentile territory where it had not gone before. Uh, John Stott, a theologian I respect, said this of this account. The most natural, see if you find this to be true as well. The most natural explanation of the delayed gift of the Spirit is that this was the first occasion on which the gospel had been proclaimed, not only outside Jerusalem, but inside Samaria. 
This is clearly the importance of the occasion in Luke's unfolding story since the Samaritans were a kind of halfway house between Jews and Gentiles. Indeed, the conversion of Samaria was like the first fruits of the calling of the Gentiles. See, the gospel is not going to be contained just in Jerusalem. The gospel, by its very nature, is going to go to the very ends of the earth. And here is where it begins. And so the reason why the apostles needed to come down to Jerusalem was so that they could authenticate the conversion, uh, thereby taking down the dividing walls of hostility that would have been there. So in other words, if someone came back and said, hey, Samaria believed, um, I can imagine given a thousand years of hostility that most of the believers are like, yeah, right. I don't believe that for a moment. Well, the apostles went. They laid their hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. And so it authenticated the work of the gospel that God was doing. And so brought together two who were apart now into one. The same church. Jewish believers and Gentile believers were now united in a common gospel through the blood of Jesus Christ. God was doing a new work. He was ushering in a new era in salvation history, and it was a beautiful work. It was exciting times. The gospel would continue to go on out, spreading through there. God was doing this mighty good work. You might be asking, though, so what does Grace Community Church teach about the activity of the Holy Spirit at conversion? Well, let me be as clear as I possibly can be. As a pastoral team, while we have charity, certainly for those who hold other convictions, we would affirm that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or another word to, to use is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is what all Christians experience at conversion. We affirm that the Holy Spirit is the active agent in regeneration and that the Holy Spirit in his fullness indwells all believers at the moment of regeneration. Uh, Additionally, we believe that the Christian is to eagerly expect and to fully seek ongoing works of the Holy Spirit by continued fillings of that Spirit. The Apostle Paul, I remind us all together, under the inspiration of God himself, says, be filled with the Spirit. And the tense is there, the present imperative means be continually filled in an ongoing way with the Holy Spirit. Much like a balloon that has capacity to increase more as the Spirit continues to fill us, so we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And we long for those those experiences. These experiences of the Holy Spirit are, are wonderful. They can be very distinct at times. They can be very powerful. They can just give us the gifts that God intends for us to have. All the gifts that we see in the scripture are for the church today that he might be glorified in us and that he might be seen clearly in and among us. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the subsequent fillings of the Holy Spirit uh, are something that we long for, something that we want, because we want more of the Lord in our hearts and minds. And so as we, as a church, as we regularly seek to have more of God in our hearts, more of him in our minds, we empty ourselves and ask the Lord, oh God, would you fill us with yourself 
because we want more of you. I'll get back to this at the close, but just for the sake of this moment, I just want to ask you, do you this morning, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, do you this morning have a desire for all that God has for you with the Holy Spirit? Do you have that desire? Would you be able to say, yes, whatever it is the Lord wants to give me through the Spirit of God, I would love to receive that. Do you know what I think is, is a really good posture for us as believers is to be able to say, amen. I want whatever the Lord would have because, and here's the thing, sometimes we get afraid of the Holy Spirit. We've been raised in backgrounds that, you know, we, we, we aren't sure about the Spirit and we aren't sure what it looks like. And, and what I just want to encourage all of us is that anything that comes from the Spirit of God is coming from God himself. And therefore, we can gladly receive it because God doesn't give a bad thing. Because God won't give us something that we would look at and say, oh, I don't want that. No, God only gives good gifts. And so can you say this morning, Lord, I want everything. I want all that you have for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Cause me to walk in your ways. Oh, can you pray that prayer this morning? I pray that you would and that I would, that we would walk in all of the ways of the Lord. There's one more, just vignette here, that we can see together of God's gospel going forward, and we're going to read it now at verse 26. We won't spend a lot of time in this text, and then we'll wrap it up. This is about Philip as he travels now to Ethiopia. Verse 26, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And listen to the response here. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. Beginning with his this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns he came until he came to Caesarea. We see what's happening here. <clears throat> I wish I had the map 
for you on display. So um, Samaria was up north. You know, Philip was a dude in Jerusalem. Remember, he was at the church where he was asked to to be part of the daily distribution. So he was he was working, serving, living in Jerusalem. He went north to Samaria to preach the gospel there. Uh, by the power of God, he was able to cast out demons and and set people free from their bondage by the power of the gospel. Well, this wasn't the only assignment that God had for him. And here's where it gets interesting, because an angel of the Lord came to Philip and said, hey, uh, what does it say? Now, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip may have like, hey, I, I did my you know missionary journey. I, I went and proclaimed, but the Lord came to him and said, hey, I want you to go. And what does he do? What does Philip do? He goes. He is faithful to the word of the Lord, and he goes. He doesn't even exactly know where he's going. He does. I mean, he knows a destination, but he doesn't know where he's what he's going to encounter. This is kind of a desert, arid place, and like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go on the road. But he goes. He's faithful to the word of the Lord, and he goes. And what does he encounter but this Ethiopian eunuch? Now, Ethiopia is a country just south uh, from that that vantage point. Um, uh, you know, I looked it up this morning. Uh, it was hundreds of miles away. He didn't go hundreds of miles. He went about 60 miles. Uh, theologians have done study on those maps. but it, So he went the 60 miles. He obeyed the Lord. He comes across this chariot, this eunuch, this one who is in charge of the treasury, is reading Isaiah. He had been in Jerusalem uh, to worship. We don't know exactly, was he a God-fearer? Was he, uh, we don't exactly know, but he was there to worship. And he's reading Isaiah. And what does it say? Again, I want you to see the interaction of the Holy Spirit in this passage. Verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. If you're a believer, you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And do you ever find that there are times where the Lord speaks to you in, in a way that you just sense, okay, that's, that's the nudging, that's the speaking of the Holy Spirit? Do you ever have that happen to you? I've had that happen numerous times where the Lord just will say, hey, um, go over to that person or, or uh, speak to that man or um, whatever. But there are times like that. And, and what I want to highlight here is as Philip walks with his Lord, as he is walking with the Spirit, the Spirit is leading him um, in places where the gospel is being proclaimed with power. So we read the story. Uh, Philip goes up. Uh, there's this reading from Isaiah, and now in this in this you know in this chariot, this is. This is great opportunity for Philip. He preaches the gospel. He shows him how all these things are fulfilled. And, and what's the result? I mean, we know he says, hey, you know, he, he believes, he has faith, the, the, you know, the eunuch. He believes, he has faith. He says, what's stopping me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing. Let's go. And, and he, he baptizes him and, and Philip is, is taken off to another place. Uh, this eunuch is now a believer in Jesus Christ. And what is happening in this context? What's happening is the gospel is going forward now into Ethiopia. The gospel is just, it's just spreading. It's continuing to go. And notice the gospel is going because Philip 
was faithful to go. Philip was faithful to do what the Lord had asked him to do. And because we've been at this a while, I just want to move us now into a few two points of application for us. And um, because I believe the Lord wants to bring it home to us for us. The application that I just want to present to you in a form of a question, number one, is this. God's mission of the gospel is continuing on today. It's, it's not like it has stopped since the time of the Acts. God is still rescuing and redeeming people by his powerful gospel. He's still breaking down the walls of hostility that exist between people. He's, he's still bringing people from death to life. He's still doing that. You know this. I want to ask you, are are you participating in the joy of that? Are you benefiting of the work of the mission of the gospel? So yesterday we were at the park, some of us, and uh, I confess to you, I, I just, you know, on, on Friday night and then on Saturday morning, I just felt my ne- my need to go down on my knees and pray, pray for opportunities and pray. And, you know, even still, there are, there's this little twinge of like, okay, what's going to happen here? Am I going to get into a, a, a conversation with someone who gets really angry at me because we're, we're speaking the words of the gospel, you know? So I, I just felt my need to pray. And, um, you know, we went to the park and there were some good conversations, praise the Lord. And then on, on the way home, there's, there's just this sense of joy that, that, you know, not to build any of us up. That's not the point, but I'm saying there is joy in the work of the Lord. There's joy in the work of the sharing of the gospel. And so I just want to ask myself, my own heart, and for all of us this morning, are, are you able to participate in that joy? See, God, God is speaking to Philip, yes, to go. But do you know what? If you're a spirit-filled believer, if you're a believer here this morning, you have the Holy Spirit and, and God sometimes says to you, go. And I just want to ask you to prayerfully consider, are you responding to that prompting of the Holy Spirit? God is not only speaking to Philip, he is speaking to you. We have a choice to make when the Lord says go and we know it's the Lord. You know, the Spirit of God is never going to ask us to say or do anything in contradiction to His Word. Um, but we, we just know there are times when He says go. And we're faced with a choice. Are we going to joyfully participate in the work that He has for us to do in just sharing with somebody else? The work, the word of the Lord, or are we going to resist the work that the Spirit wants to do? Do you know what I do, friends? Sometimes I resist. Sometimes I say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not always conscious that I'm actively doing that, but there are times where I resist the Holy Spirit of God. Praise the Lord, there are are other times when I say, okay, and I go, do you see what happened in this text? God said to Philip, go. And what happened was the spread of the gospel. 
I mean, wouldn't it be cool to find out that this Ethiopian eunuch, because he was a, uh, a dude of stature, he was in the palace. I mean, this guy had, had people who were under him and he had influence. Wouldn't it be cool to meet him someday in heaven and, and hear the story of how he used his own gospel conversion to go back and proclaim hope to all the people that he had contact with? And you never know. I never know. That when we say yes to the Lord, we never know how the Lord is going to use our faithfulness. What can seem like a a small little offering, we never know how God is going to use that to build his kingdom. You know, Billy Graham had to hear the gospel from somebody. Charles Spurgeon had to hear the gospel from somebody. Elizabeth Elliot had to hear the gospel from somebody. God had said, go. And they responded. So I just want to ask you, as we think about this mission that God calls us to, are you saying yes when God says, go? Second thing, and with this, I want to invite the worship team to join me up on the stage as we will prepare our hearts to respond to this word. The second thing I want to ask you is, is simply this. We, we are called to eagerly pursue the ongoing work of the Spirit. Why? Why? Because we want more of the Lord. We pursue Jesus Christ, and in pursuing Jesus Christ, we open our hearts up to all that the Spirit of God has for us. And so I simply want to ask a few questions about your heart posture this morning. Do you want all of him? Do you want all of Christ, whatever that looks like and whatever that means? Can you say this morning that that like Philip, who, who responded to the Spirit and did what the Spirit said, can you say, Lord, I want you. I want you in all of my life. I want you to to have control in every corner of my life. I'm not holding out anything. (laughs) Because if we can say that, dear friends, do you know who the most joyful people are that I meet? The most joyful people that I meet and the most joyful people that I know are people who say, yes, Lord. The people who say, Lord, I, I want you more than anything else. Philip did that. Peter did that. And by the grace of God, we're going to do that too. That we might be filled with the fullness of God, that we might take our place in the mission of God and join in this eternal work of God using people like you and people like me to accomplish his eternal mission of bringing the kingdom of God to bear. So would you stand with me now? Dear Father, we, we read this story of the church under persecution and we watch Stephen be stoned and we see threats arising from leaders and, and we see the church respond with faith. 
The early church was, was filled with you to such a degree that, that they said, it doesn't matter what happens to me. When you call me to go, I'm going to go. Lord, and we're inspired by their faith. And we pray that you would fill us with the same kind of faith, Lord. That you, by your Holy Spirit, would so move in our hearts and in our minds that, that we too would, would participate in this great work that you're doing of, of making and maturing disciples. Of building your kingdom one person at a time. Lord, you saved Philip that he could go and do the work that you called him to do. We may not cast out demons. We may not uh, preach to a whole huge bunch of people. We may not meet an Ethiopian eunuch. That may not be for us, but Lord, for us, would you help us, God? Would you so incline our hearts that whenever and however you call us to go, we're going to say yes and watch what you're going to do. Lord, would you give us that kind of faith? Would you give us that kind of joy? And would you fill us with your Holy Spirit that when people see us, they see Christ in us. This is what we pray and we ask together in Jesus' name. Amen.